When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks, everyone, for joining us here on this episode. And the Bills just went through their first preseason game of the year. They defeat the Indianapolis Colts by a score of 27 to 24, extend their preseason winning streak to nine games. And that winning streak has now spanned four preseasons because they've got the one this year the three last year they had the four the previous year and then it extends into one game into 2019 so yeah (laughs) they have now spanned four separate preseasons of wins and the bills of course getting a lot of good work in today and going about it in a smart fashion. So thanks everyone for joining me here on this episode. My guy Matthew Fairburn is at a wedding this weekend, so uh, we'll look to get him back on for the next game, hopefully, and we'll see uh, what the second game of the preseason holds against the Denver Broncos. But that doesn't mean that we can't go over the what good, bad, ugly... Maybe some signs that we saw throughout decisions and through certain play, what it means for the 53-man roster and playing time, everything like that. Like that. I always find the first preseason game to be so incredibly compelling just because you get to see actions. And a lot of the times you throughout training camp, you don't know, well, you, you can get you can generate an idea of how to qualify the types of reps and opportunities that certain players get as the summer kind of goes along. You can start to see trends develop, everything along those lines. But it's not until you get to that first and second preseason game where you start to really see actions about what the team is thinking about with their current roster and how to navigate both who they want to prevent from injury Maybe where they're seeing um, they're seeing the future of certain positions based on their usage within that first preseason game, and certainly you get the standouts from the game that that might wind up changing some things on the depth chart by the time you get to the second preseason game. So that's why you know uh, the preseason is often like you know snickered about, but I. I love the preseason. It's it's such a cool way to learn um, right after what you've seen for weeks on end in training camp and figure out exactly what this team could look like in, in the upcoming season. And I, I've found quite a few interesting little facets from the game. We'll, we'll go over uh, a few of them. Don't want to go over every single player, but uh, 
But you can find my uh, my observations over at theathletic.com. And if you go to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat, you can get yourself a nice little discount on uh, on your yearly subscription. But uh, you'll see some of what I ha- what I'm talking about over there. But I wanted to expound upon a lot of of what I wrote about because I think there's like a significant factor with at least some of the positions. And the one that I went into this game more than anything trying to hone in on because I think it's been the most compelling player driven storyline of camp has been what's been going on with the cornerback position. Now the three guys that have all been vying for the starting job, be it um, Kair Elam, Dane Jackson, and now over the last couple of weeks, Christian Benford, the six round rookie out of Villanova. Those three guys have been working in against the Josh Allen group throughout practices. And of course, the Bills still are without Tredavious White. We're without a timetable on Tredavious White. It's now the night of Saturday, August 13th. We still have yet to see him do any significant work along the sides with the strength and conditioning staff uh, outside of that one really vigorous day that he went through. I think it was like maybe day five or day six of camp, but it was at least a couple of weeks ago. So maybe he's doing it on his own time. I haven't really seen it much throughout training camp practice. We'll see what happens when they get back to Orchard Park. Maybe if if he ramps it up a little bit more, but they're starting to run out of time. There still is a solid amount of time to where if he is able to get back pretty quickly here, there's a a little bit of a, a ramp up period. But if he does not get back, swiftly enough then there is a like let's say it gets to I don't know August a couple of weeks from now and Tredavious White still isn't making that forward push that's the point where you start to think all right well the season is September 8th is it really going to be a a doable goal to have Tredavious White come back to practice from a almost nine month injury and be able to uh, be able to get back in the swing of things in time for September 8th. So we're right around that, that mark, maybe a week or two more before we really start to consider. And if they don't have him, then you think about the cornerback group and what is going on there. So a few interesting things from the cornerback group, Dane Jackson, obviously is uh, the veteran and Elam and Benford are the rookies, but Jackson interestingly enough, did not play against the Colts. And I always find those actions to be pretty interesting because the fact that Jackson did not play probably means one of two things and maybe a bit of both. One, that they're comfortable with him uh, and what he has shown throughout the, the training camp and they didn't feel the need to put him in that situation right away. So that's a possibility. Uh, the other is that maybe they just wanted to get a full look at their two rookies, Kyer Elam, Christian Benford, got the, get them some reps against another team for the first time ever, whereas they've seen that with Dane Jackson before. So maybe it's a little bit of both. I tend to think that Dane Jackson has been the most consistent of the three and probably the best of the three to the point where I think he's probably in the best standing to start right now. Not to say it can't change, but that's that's just kind of where it is. 
And then you got to see Elam and Benford really go up against some talent on the Colts. Not like, like they, they they played a lot of their starters, but it's it's not as though they're going up against an outrageous passing offense like they do most days during training camp. So I wanted to keep a close eye on Kyir Elam because he, to me, is has developed into one of the more intriguing players at camp because of some early struggles. Started to uh, make a few more plays as camp began to wind down. And so I went into this game focused on him and watching him because I had a pretty solid idea he would play. I wanted to know what he did every snap. And so I watched him every single snap. And some with cornerbacks, sometimes they're washed out of a play. Like sometimes a receiver runs a route and and it's a run play. Or sometimes it's just a run play to the other side and you're not really doing all that much. But we did see enough from Elam to kind of go through his day. And and it started off really good for him. Like there were there are both signs of good and bad. And it started off on a on a high note. Like he had one pass breakup uh, right at the beginning of the game on a third down to to force the Colts off the field, where uh, Alec Pierce tried to hit him with a slant route. Uh, Elam reacted instinctively, didn't allow any separation, and then closed down the ball to to break up the pass. Great play. One of to me that has been probably. One of the best plays he's made this summer. And it's also a confidence booster too, right? Because you you get into your first game, it's your very first series, third down, boom, you get a pass breakup and and you're off and running. The next series, it, they they come out and, you know, he, d- he did really well in fighting through some coverage and, or fighting through some traffic, I should say, as, he, as he's in coverage and didn't get lost in it, especially when, you know, they're trying to, run some, uh, not, not even a pick, but like, you know, just trying to lose their man. And so I thought he did a nice job of that. And then on that same drive, because this was after Case Keenum's interception, which was actually Jamison Crowder's interception, but we'll get to that. The Colts were on the doorstep. And so it was a third and goal from the Bills' two-yard line. The Colts try to run it to Kyrie Lim's side. He crashes down did a great job of of edge contain to not allow the running back to get outside where obviously once you get outside in, in that situation boom it's a touchdown elam did a really nice job of crashing down and and keeping that edge containing that edge forcing the runner inside directly to elam's right side uh in the hole there and it Put him, put his teammates in position to make a play. I believe it was uh, Jaquan Johnson and Andre Smith, if I'm not mistaken, that that brought the runner down at the one yard line to force a fourth down. So those were that was a great start for Kyrie Elam in, in my estimation, and you know definitely a confidence booster. But as the game kind of wore on, once they got into the second quarter, I thought there were some maybe some regrettable reps. You know, a couple of cover coverage lapses where. Um, you know, he got beat at the line and on one play, it didn't hurt him. But on another one, it was like a deep comeback for Alec Pierce, where he just played it a little bit too soft, a little bit too hesitant, got his foot, uh, uh, you know, didn't didn't uh, drive his foot into the dirt early enough. And it allowed Pierce to win on a deep, 
deep comeback for I think it was 18 yards. And that that was one of, you know, a rep that he would like to have back. Then another one, it was just a, a night and day where he got beat at the line of scrimmage, got grabby because he, he got beat at the line of scrimmage and, and took a defensive pass interference call. Um, so that wasn't great. Another run support role where it, I think it was uh, Philip Lindsay uh, sweep to the right around the right end. Um, Elam was the first one at the ball and, you know, just got taken for a little bit of a ride. Not like to the point where he stiff armed him off and the tackle wasn't there. Like he eventually helped to bring down Philip Lindsay, but the run went for six yards. Whereas, you know, you want him to be a little bit stronger on it. Not his strength area, so to speak, because he was brought in for his coverability, but still, um, you know, you just want him to be a little bit more physical at, at that point. Um, and then from there, I thought his one of his last reps, he, he turned it around after, you know, some some regrettable errors. Um, and then on his last rep, I that uh, that I wrote down on my notes, thought he, he did a really nice job with it. It was against um, Ashton Doolin on the offense's right side. Doolin was up against Elam, who was in press coverage. Doolin tried to give him a little shake and then tried to hand battle his way through the five-yard area. Elam did a really nice job of thwarting thwarting the hand-to-hand combat, turning his hips, and then mirroring Doolin as he went down the right sideline. The ball from Foles was delivered over the top, but Elam was there step for step. The receiver just had no chance to uh, to make a good play or otherwise he would have had to make a ridiculous play on the ball. So that was, you know, that was probably my, my second favorite rep of Elam's. So it was good and bad, but the, the good news is like you saw what you needed to see from Elam to think that he is progressing. Like those errors are still going to be there. He's a rookie player, cornerback, but this was one of his best showings of the summer, I thought. And you want to see how he builds off that the next week uh, in in their second preseason game and see exactly what you can do because you are going to have to make a decision about who is starting for you at quarterback, whether Tredavious White is ready or he isn't. You know, the tie in any situation probably goes to Kair Elam. But if, let's say, White is ready and Dane Jackson is playing better than Kair Elam at that point, then... Dane Jackson will probably be out there, or maybe they do a 50-50 split. If White isn't ready, and they deem Dane Jackson as, as the top guy so far, and Benford outplays Kyrie Elam, then you should put Christian Benford out there, or at least do the 50-50 role at that. So the, these are the things why it's so important to see Elam succeed in these areas. And uh, and yeah, so I thought I thought he did a nice job of it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Similarly, Christian Benford thought he was really smooth, poised. You know, he's way more poised than like like if you thought, hey, six round pick from a smaller school, you wouldn't you wouldn't think that about him. But he's carving himself out and to be a really nice depth player for them so far this summer. And to the point where he is a lock for the 53-man roster. I'll probably watch him a little bit closer in the next game. And when I go back and watch this game, I want to see, like, watch him on a snap-to-snap. Because if you're watching one guy, then obviously uh, Elam is going to dominate most most reps where you're watching. But when the play was going to the opposite side uh, of Elam, I thought, I thought Benford was really smooth and uh, didn't really see him see the moment be too big for him and that that is an important sign where you're checking these boxes so the cornerback spot super compelling will continue to be and you know we'll see how these performances help shift what they do moving forward i've gone this whole way and i thought like i thought to myself when i was coming into the show i'm like all right should i lead with the puntapalooza or should i not because <laughs> It's it's not just a bit. Like people well it is a bit, but people are not uh not uh going out of their way to uh to talk about the punting things because it's just genuinely interesting. And when you see how uh how crazy the um the fanfare was over Matt Areza's eighty two yard punt in in the in this game against the Colts, you start to see why you know people are invested in this in this overall uh, contest. But yeah, it's it's not even Matt Hawk's fault um, in the Matt versus Matt Puntapalooza because I think he's actually had a pretty nice summer. If I'm honest, it's just he was swimming upstream in this competition. Right from the get-go. We saw how the Bills handled the Tyler Bass, Stephen Hauschka kicking competition a couple of summers ago. And it was basically Bass had to lose it or Hauschka had to win it by a lot. And Bass wound up winning it. And even with that one, Hauschka, I think, was closer, was probably a bit closer to Bass than maybe Hawk is to Areza. But even that one, they they called it early and they allowed Stephen Hauschka a chance to to hook on elsewhere. And it just feels like that that, that that's the way this one is heading. Areza has you know just this moldable skill set. And he's still rough around the edges in some areas, but he just crushed it on Sunday night both literally and figuratively he on his lone punt attempt was punting it from the bills 18 yard line just boomed one past the return man to the point where 
the return man was retreating and trying to get to the ball. The ball lands at the 15-yard line and then rolls into the end zone. Winds up being 82 yards at the goal line. You know, you can say it rolled a few yards far- farther, but in the NFL stat keeper notebook, 82-yard punt, went for a touchback. So net yard yardage of 62. Still ridiculous. Still a field flip. And that's exactly what Sean McDermott is looking for in those situations. So that is was a major check uh, of things that they wanted to see from Matt Areza in him seeing him do it in an actual game setting and in his first one. So that that was a big thing. Matt Hawk had one opportunity as well, and it was a good punt. Like good, not great, but good. Kicking from their own 50. Pooch punt situation, skies it 4.4 seconds, um, makes it so the coverage guys on his unit are able to get down there, surround the return man, so he has to fair catch the ball, fair catches it at the 12-yard line, and avoids the touchback, net 38 yards, actual yardage is 38. Like, that's, that's that's a solid job. Could it have been down to the five? Sure. Yeah, it, it, it could have, but it's still a solid job to pin them, you know, deeper than just the 20-yard line. Good, not great. It's the perfect way to describe it. And that's basically what Hawk has been this summer. But when you add up Areza just absolutely crushing his opportunity all of the other days, and then on top of it all, having Areza be the only guy to hold field goal attempts in this game for Tyler Bass, including the game winner at the end of the game, it just makes you think that this this thing is getting close to over. Areza has been really good as a holder, was super poised on the game winner. Um, there was one field goal attempt where, or extra point attempt, I can't remember, where the snap was a little bit low and Areza caught it low and then brought it back up to the point and without Bass having to hesitate whatsoever, that was a great job by him and a great adjustment. There's going to be more pressure pack situations with that, but he's been excellent on that so far. And it has to be dispelling any sort of um, hesitation that the Bills might have had heading into this with him. It's, it's just, it's logic, right? I mean, Areza, they drafted him. They they used a late round pick on him. He's got a he's got a four year deal, cost effective four year deal. They feel like they they got a guy who has the potential to become one of the best punters in the NFL. They're not going as long as he continues to check boxes, which he has the entire summer. They're not going to cut him just to keep Matt Hawk for a year. It's just not going to happen. Areza, you know. Can he be better in hang time? Yes. Can he be better in pooch punt situations? Absolutely. He needs to be more accurate and more precise in those areas. But they feel like he can learn that. Whereas maybe the raw skills that he has cannot be taught to Manhawk. So yeah, I think this one, I would not be surprised if, if this one is done. Maybe even by the time this podcast comes out. Like maybe they they move on from Matt Hawk on the day off on Monday because they practice on Sunday. Maybe they do it on Sunday. 
or maybe they wait till after the second preseason game, but it feels like it's it's close to decision time for that punting job. But that is not the only special teams situation that I came away intrigued by after this preseason game. The return game in general, I think, is very much worth our time in discussing. Because not only did we get to see who the Bills wanted to try out in a preseason game at at both kickoff and punt returning, but it was completely up in the air because not only was Isaiah McKenzie not playing in the game because they rested him, but also because Marquez Stevenson is out with a foot injury and probably for a while out with a foot injury. So what would the Bills do? Would they just go with, you know, bottom roster guys that aren't actually going to make it? Or are they going to give some shots? And they gave some some solid opportunities. The first player that fielded a kickoff was rookie running back James Cook. And the first player that fielded a punt was rookie wide receiver Khalil Shakir. And those are two very buzzy guys when it comes to camp in general. And to see them in those roles really makes you wonder, okay, are the Bills looking to um, carve out a bit of a bigger role for these guys than just what they can do on the offensive side of things? And I'm most compelled by by the Cook idea because I think Shakir's is fine as a punt returner. I don't know that he's necessarily going to break any big ones. I think he can be consistent. He's got good hands. He seems really trustworthy. Uh, maybe he makes some cuts to get through, but I don't know that he's like the guy that's going to march it down the field for you and make a, a bunch of people miss. I just don't know that that that's in his skill set. But Cook is the one that's intriguing to me because one of his biggest strong suits is what he's able to do in space working against defenders. That's why he's noted as a, a, a great pass catching back um, and solid at yards after the catch because of how he can see things unfold, set set people up. That to me is is quite the pairing with him in the kickoff return because he'll have that runway guaranteed every single time, can kind of see what's going on around him, and he also has the speed and athleticism to exploit it. So when you mix that vision, the athleticism, and... You know, the ability to make people miss all at one, you have the potential for a pretty good kickoff return guy. I I think it's just a fascinating mesh, and it makes you wonder if maybe that this is the plan heading in. The main guy that he could, uh, that they could go otherwise with that kickoff return role is Isaiah McKenzie. Same thing with punt return. McKenzie would be the guy in those situations if it's not Cook and Shakir, it would appear. But because it seems like McKenzie is being, I guess, shooed in to to a, a bigger offensive role, maybe it's an opportunity to take more off his plate and to put something a little bit more on the plate of rookie players that they've been impressed by and that they want to incorporate more. So by putting James Cook on the kickoff return, it does a lot of things for you. One, 
it gives James Cook a a bigger, more expansive role than maybe he would be confined to if he was just a running back offensive player only. And it also helps you cross off something on your special teams that that you need that in the past they have otherwise um, kept one guy on the 53-man roster and on the active game day roster that could only do that one thing. So that helps. And you get to save roster spots. You keep Isaiah McKenzie fresh. It just seems like a win all the way around. So we saw the one opportunity from Cook. I'm really eager to see him do it again in the next couple of preseason games because if he does well enough, like I think he can, I think that's a that's a really nice fit for what the Bills are are looking to do, both from a, a game day slash, you know, incorporating their young guys. And Shakir, probably the same way. You know, keeps McKenzie fresh, especially as the offensive players are coming out on the field and they're going to need McKenzie um, probably in a, in a bigger role this year. Gives Shakir a bigger role because they really like him quite a bit. And there may not be, same thing with Cook, there may not be as many snaps at the running back position for Cook than they might want because they still like Devin Singletary, they still like Zach Moss. Same thing with Shakir and the receivers. They've got McKenzie, they've got Diggs, they've got Davis. How many times are they running four wide receiver sets? How many times are you taking one of Diggs or Davis off the field? Um, it's just, it's a way to to insert them into your game day lineup and hope for an impact. So I found those really interesting. And I think I think there might be something to that. We have to see. If McKenzie still factors in, but it would make a lot of sense for them to, to kind of sit him moving forward. But with those receivers, I'm, I mentioned a couple of times that it seems like McKenzie is seems pretty safe for a bigger bigger role uh, offensively as that starting slot guy, and that goes back to what we what I was talking about at the beginning of the show, like actions with. The Bills speak louder than words with, you know, with these preseason games. It's just huge with what they do, what they choose to do versus what they say leading up. And we've heard all about this, this battle between McKenzie and Crowder and, um, you know, how both guys are competing and, you know, McKenzie is still trying to, to win the job, everything like that. But the action that the Bills made was to keep McKenzie with the safe players for the roster and do the big workout ahead of the game on the field at Highmark Stadium and then rest him throughout the game itself. Whereas Crowder not only dressed for the game, but played almost the entire first quarter as, as the slot receiver for Case Keenum. There is a clear pecking order based off the first preseason game of McKenzie, Diggs, and Davis as the top three. And then the next three are Crowder, Kumaro, and Khalil Shakir. It's three and three. Now, that's not to say that Crowder can't push McKenzie, but he, like we've talked about 
on the show, really just in general. Crowder is not scaring you as a defensive game planner. You know where he's going to be. He's pretty consistent. You know, that interception that went off his hands and into the Colts' hands, notwithstanding. Usually he's he's pretty solid on the ball. But you always know where he's going to be. Just not a ton of opportunity for yards after the catch. Isaiah McKenzie is the, is the opposite of that. Because if you get the ball in his hands into some space, then he can make people miss. And he's got the speed to to really burn you. And that's that's something that they want in their offense so badly. And McKenzie has risen to the occasion to the point where you know he was one of the best performers at, at training camp early on. And really throughout the duration, even when he came back from, from his injury. Or his two-day absence, I should say. So that action spoke a great deal, I thought. So if you're out there in your fantasy drafts and you want to get a, a cheap piece of the Bills offense late, late, late in the draft, McKenzie's really looking like the guy right now. And he he's someone I think will uh, play a, a big role on this offense unless something drastic changes between now and the start of the season. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. So that that was the action of it. You have to, as far as the depth goes, you have to tip your hat to um, both Shakir, who had another great outing after a great outing in, in the scrimmage at Highmark Stadium a little over a week ago. I mean, he's just continued to get better every single time, with the exception of one day where drops were an issue. He's just been great for them. Five catches, 92 yards on five targets. Didn't matter who was throwing it to him, Barkley or Case Keenum. He was just on it and really good route runner. It really seems like um, he is positioning himself very well to be a piece in this offense. And what I liked most from him was that he was able to play both the boundary and in the slot throughout the game. It was a sneaky little thing because at the beginning of the game, Jamison Crowder was was the slot guy and Khalil Shakir was on the outside. But when Crowder left the game, Shakir shifted inside to the slot receiver spot. And then they brought in Isaiah Hodgins. So it was Kumaro and Hodgins on the outside and Khalil Shakir inside at slot. So it makes you wonder with their depth chart, like what could that mean? I think there's a world that exists where Khalil Shakir is the fourth wide receiver and Jamison Crowder is the fifth wide receiver. I don't know that I'm ready to go there yet, 
But there is the potential for that. Where if, you know, one of those top three guys has to miss time or they they need a couple of plays off, could be Shakir being the one that goes in. Shakir is definitely their top backup boundary receiver right now. It's not Kumaro because he's a special teams guy. And I think I still think he's gonna make the team even though he fumbled. Um they like they really like him on special teams. And in the locker room for that matter. But Shakir, what does he have behind him? Crowder's not an outside guy. Are you going to shift McKenzie to the outside? Probably not. Not when you like Shakir as much as you do. And Hodgins has been really nice throughout summer and in the first preseason game. But I don't think Hodgins is going to take reps away from Khalil Shakir, who's on his rookie deal and still has four full seasons ahead of him. So I definitely see a world where Khalil Shakir is the fourth wide receiver in this offense. Maybe not immediately, but as the season kind of goes, I think there is definite potential for that to happen. So Shakir continues improving. And then the other, like Isaiah Hodgins. It was it was easy to write off Hodgins early in camp because you're like, okay. We've seen this song and dance before where he looks great in the spring, looks great at the early part of training camp. Then when the pads go on, disappears. Happened last year. He had the injury a couple years ago in his rookie season. But last year, I remember it, night and day. Once the pads went on, things got physical, just kind of disappeared. And that happens with some with some receivers. To Hodgins' credit, the guy has come back and been outstanding when things got more physical. I don't know that it's necessarily going to mean he's a lock for the roster. I don't know that it's going to mean that like it's going to transition himself into a role on game days. I don't think that's the case, but I think he has a legitimate shot to make the 53-man roster. In fact, in my last... Um, 53-man roster projection, which I did right as camp ended, I had Hodgins in. And he was the last guy that I had in on the roster. I had him making it over uh, the rookie linebacker, Balen Spector, because what Hodgins has done, like that, that's going to get scooped up on, on the waiver wire. At least I think it would. Nine catches, what was it, 77 yards on 11 targets. On one of those targets, it went through his hands, and it's like, oh, uh, that, that was early on in the game, and you're like, uh, you know, so much for the, the, the nice training camp practices that he's built up. But as that game continued, just a constant target for Matt Barkley down the stretch. Good release at the line of scrimmage by Hodgins not the fastest guy by any means but he can separate and he can win at the catch that's he has never been one that struggles with winning in the contested catch situation he's really good in that area so I think he's got a legitimate shot to make it and if you would have if you would have asked me this about him early in camp I would have had a few, maybe a few, a couple of receivers ahead of him that there are 
he he's no longer behind. So just a great, great game by him. I think he is in legitimate conversation to be that. Don't think that means a role or anything like that, but I think more than anything right now, it could be the path to an eventual role with injury. Or, you know, maybe they they just need someone to step in one week. Maybe they they want to value his size. But Hodgins, he's not a he's not a special teams coverage guy. He's not a core four guy. That's that's just not who he is. So it's not like, oh, they're gonna keep Hodgins over Kumaro. No. No. Two in special teams language, two different guys. Kumaro is a trusted asset. Hodgins barely got out there in special teams, even against the Colts. They they worked him in at the end, but the first initial units, he was not out there. But what he could do is if he makes himself available to the active roster, then or to the 53-man roster, he can be a healthy scratch on game days. They hold their guy and continue to... Uh, and continue to keep him on the roster without having to lose him, especially since Crowder is a free agent at the end of the year. Maybe that's that's an opportunity for Hodgins to rise up. And Kumro is a free agent at the end of the year too. That's an opportunity for him to rise up to be their fifth wide receiver next year. Always got to keep thinking a, at least a year ahead with some of these younger guys, bottom roster guys, and, and what it could help you with in terms of, you know, re-signability, guys getting older, everything like that. So Hodgins has done a really nice job. I've talked a lot about the offense over the last, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. But quickly on the defensive side of things, I uh, found it interesting that A.J. Epinesa, of all the pass rushers, they shut him down the earliest. And I think that's notable because they feel like he has had a really strong summer. So Epinesa got, I believe, let me go check my notes. I think he got a couple of series. And then past the first quarter, he didn't play again. Kind of, uh, they did the same thing with Tim Settle at defensive tackle where he played the first couple of series and then then they shut him down. So Epinesa is right in that mold because they played... Every defensive end that wasn't um, Von Miller and Greg Rousseau. But Epinesa was the first one to get shut down. They they continued to play Boogie Basham throughout uh, the first and second quarter. Shaq Lawson played into the second quarter. So those are two guys that are probably a bit behind Epinesa based on what we've seen throughout the summer in terms of consistency and and you know really kind of turning a corner here. Um, Epinesa has been really nice. And that action, we keep talking about actions in these games. That action was uh, a confirmation of things that we have seen them do. Like in the scrimmage, they had Epinesa in for Von Miller against the Josh Allen offense. It's a confirmation that Epinesa has continued to get into the backfield throughout training camp. So just another check for Epinesa as he continues to move forward to another uh, big year for him. Probably the biggest of his career, no doubt. But Basham did a great job um, creating that that strip sack. He's someone that they continue to be high on um, as a rotational guy. 
Don't know what that role looks like. I don't know exactly how the defensive end room is going to look in game one. I think there's a there's a world where we see Shaq Lawson be a healthy scratch in those first games. I think Shaq will be on the team because of his impact in the locker room, that being the second point, but also being reliable depth. If something were to happen, whether it be inconsistency with their young players or an injury, it's a much better situation to have to rely on someone like that rather than, you know, a practice squad guy. So I Basham did a nice job for himself. I think he is, at least to me, pretty clearly the number four. And I think Shaq Lawson is pretty clearly the number five. Behind, you know, Von Miller, top guy. Greg Rousseau is the starter. Epinesa is the top reserve as of right now. Basham the number four. And then, you know, Shaq Lawson the number five. And not sure if he'll be active on the first game day. Could be. Just kind of depends on on what they're looking at from a numbers perspective. But the other defensive end that caught my eye, and this is not the first time, is Kingsley Jonathan. He's a undrafted rookie. They brought him in. Um, has really done a nice job over the last, I'd say, week and a half. Getting into the backfield, making his presence felt. Did it again against the Colts. I think he's a a pretty solid practice squad candidate. And one of those guys that has kind of stood out, checked a box, and we'll see what he can do with it from there. So yeah, a lot to uh, ponder from that first preseason game, but you know, one that it's always fun to see the the team on the field for the very first time. You know, you're you're if you weren't able to go out to one of the training camp practices for fans, a lot a lot of times it's being able to see what these guys look like after, you know, reading and hearing all this stuff about these players. But I think a lot of the stuff we've been talking about throughout training camp has kind of translated into that first game. And now we'll see what they do from here. So still some very interesting uh, roster decisions they'll have to make, especially at the bottom of it. Uh, The 53-man roster was tough to do right at the bottom to figure out who's going to make it, especially in the offensive line group. Will Balen Spector make it? The linebacker. I know fans were really into what Balen Spector did against the Colts, and he'll be a feature in a in a story I'm doing coming up in the next couple of days. Here's a couple of days here of the risers and fallers from what we saw uh, against the Colts. So he's someone to keep an eye on. He's right on that bubble. Tommy Sweeney's right on that bubble. Hodgins, who we talked about, is on the bubble. Yeah, there's. There's a lot to chew on from that game, but uh, yeah, it's two more of these to go before everything gets real. But good, it's a, a good start for where they're going, and now we get to learn even more about them as practice goes along. This week, have another four practices, then get the game at Highmark Stadium one week from today. All right, so I think that's going to do it for me. Um, I appreciate you putting up with my rambling. <laughs> It's just one big stream of consciousness with some notes right in front of me. Uh, Just like, you know, like, hey, talk about this. Hey, talk about that. But yes, the Bills continue that preseason streak of theirs winning 27 to 24. And now 
we'll see if they can get the 10. So that's going to do it for me. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat. You'll next hear from me after the uh, the Bills take on the Broncos in that second preseason game. And uh, we'll, we'll get to see a little bit more from, from all these young players that we talked about uh, all throughout this show. All right. My name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week after the Broncos game. See you then.